Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you for being here. Welcome to Horizon West Church. Uh, we're beginning a new series on this kind of first Sunday of summer, and the series, you might have been piecing it together, the series is going to be on Holy Spirit. Uh, Socrates, which by the way, y'all one more time, welcome Socrates to the team. This is so great. I told him earlier, I said, we're going to stop treating you like a guest after this week. But in the meantime, we're just super excited to have you here. Uh, if you're kind of newer to Horizon West Church, Socrates is our brand new worship leader and worship pastor and overseeing some of the key parts of the team uh, along with the other staff and leadership here. So we're just thrilled to have you here. Socrates and Sarah and Cora and Miles, the family, uh, we're going to be a blessed church by having them with us. Um, and Marcy's back uh, from uh, a couple weeks away, and Jenna's in town, and it's just a really cool Sunday, uh, but not the least of which is because we are starting this new series uh, on Holy Spirit. I, I was meeting with Socrates earlier in the week, and we're kind of fleshing out, like, how is this going to work? You know, as I'm more the, the teaching pastor, he's more the worship leading pastor, and, you know, kind of planning programs, and who's selecting the songs. I said, man, that's that's your territory, that's your area. You know, I wanna, I wanna bounce those things off together, but, but he's a gifted worship leader, a lot of experience, he's a pastor, and so man, I said, I wanna you know, give you freedom and space to do that. I said, and, and, and for instance, you know, don't feel like you need to create songs around whatever message we're in. Like, you just lead us in worship. Like, you know, on Sunday, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And he goes, but we are doing Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I said, that's great, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know. You have the freedom, because here's what, here's what Scripture teaches us. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And, and what my hope is, is that we kind of plot through these next six or eight weeks of, of learning and understanding the, the work and the ministry of, of Holy Spirit, that it does more than just check a box for us, that it does more than just become a cognitive exercise, but that we would learn to live in the place of saying, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. In my life, in my thoughts, in my experiences, and so this morning, we're going to tackle the identity of the Holy Spirit, and I want to just give you a little bit of fore forewarning. Um, this, probably of all of the, the weeks on Holy Spirit, might at times feel the most academic, uh, but there is a reason for that, and I'm going to ask that you just kind of work through that with us, because here, here's the, the reality. Most churches err in one of two ways when it comes to Holy Spirit. Some churches kind of go way out here and they're like, everything that happens is Holy Spirit. And it's, it's loud and it's boisterous and it's free and it's great, uh, but there's a tendency or temptation to kind of get so far over here to the exclusion of the work of the cross in the person of Jesus, the fatherhood of God, the community of the saints. It's just spirit, spirit, spirit. The reality for us and the tribe that we're affiliated with, and by the way, we represent a lot of denominations. We've got people here who have come from Catholic churches, from Pentecostal churches, from Lutheran churches, from non-denominational churches, from no churches at all, and yet we as a congregation affiliate with the Baptist church. And in this tribe, one of the tendencies that we've had is to underplay and minimize the role of Holy Spirit. 
Because we go, man, we, we want to make sure nothing gets weird here, right? The, the favorite scripture of, a, of a, a Baptist is everything should be done decently and in order. I promise you that Paul didn't mean to say like squelch the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to kind of push a little bit more this way, believing that God has more for us in the experience of Holy Spirit than what we are currently perhaps allowing. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Under the identity of the Holy Spirit, what we're going to do today is look at three defining characteristics. I am going to unpack a lot of scripture, especially today, because I want to make sure that when we speak Holy Spirit, we're speaking about the way that Jesus introduced him in John 14 to 16, and the way the Bible frames the personhood of Holy Spirit. One of the great pastors of our generation and, and has actually been in ministry for decades, Chuck Swindoll, um, if you've ever listened to Chuck on the radio, he's got the perfect voice. He's got like the perfect pastor voice. And I, I remember even as a young child, he was one of the earliest pastors. That I was like, man, I really, I like that guy. Like I have a respect for that guy's ministry and his, his preaching and teaching. And one time Chuck Swindoll was talking about preaching on the Holy Spirit. And it was the first time he had done that since graduating from seminary. And Chuck pastored in the days where there was these um, actual like hard physical manila folders that you put notes in. Anybody remember those days? And he said as he was going to preach on Holy Spirit, he, he started in his H file and realized that there were no notes on the Holy Spirit. He said, I got it. I put it under S for spirit. Looks in S, it's not there. So he's thinking, maybe I put it under ghost. Some of you grew up with the Holy Ghost, right? And if you did, you probably were not a Baptist. But nonetheless, is it under G? It's not under G. Is it maybe C for counselor or comforter? Where in the world? And then it dawns on him. He, he filed away his teachings on the Holy Spirit, his notes on the Holy Spirit, under pneumatology. So it was in the P, P file. You're going, what in the world is pneumatology? Well, pneumatology is study of the Holy Spirit. And the point that Chuck was making, and I share this to say, let's be careful that we don't get uh, caught up in this danger, is seminary can teach us to make it all academic, make it all theological. Pneumatology, I promise you, the Holy Spirit's end goal is not to help you to understand pneumatology, but to experience God in your life. So we're going to kind of walk through these waters to get to the place where we're better able to experience God in our life. John chapter 5, verses 39 to 40, Jesus is confronting some religious people. You may or may not consider yourself religious, but you're in church today, so you're going to be in this category for today. And Jesus touches on something that went wrong with the hearts of the religious people in the first century. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life. But it is they that, they that bear witness to me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is saying, Pharisees, religious leaders, you've done all the academic stuff right, and yet you've missed the most important part. It wasn't intended that you would just simply know more about God. It was so you would experience the life that God came to offer. Might it be that we could be accused of something similar, not of minimizing or missing the ministry of Jesus, but of failing to fully embrace the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our day. Might it be that Jesus could say of us, you search the scriptures, but you refuse to come. See, the Holy Spirit is all over the Bible. Uh, we, we sing about him, we, we mention him in our prayers or our conversations, 
And yet, as Francis Chan pointed out several years ago, he is often the forgotten God. He's often one we we don't speak a lot of or we minimize the role and the working of. Francis Chan said this, we've created a whole brand of churches that do not depend on the Spirit. A whole culture of Christians who are not disciples, a new group of followers who do not follow. I believe if there is a cure to this, if there is a remedy for this situation, it is a greater understanding and experience of the Holy Spirit in our day. And so that's why I'm excited, you guys, for the next six to eight weeks to talk about it. If I'm being perfectly honest, I had the thought this morning, I I feel like those times where you're having like a really important guest to your house and you start remembering all the things you failed to clean. Do you ever have a, a situation like that? I'm like, God, did I prepare enough? Am I really equipped and ready to talk about the Holy Spirit? I mean, this is a big deal. And I was meeting with our prayer team beforehand and and they just kept assuring me that Chris, you have prepared and in many ways your life has been your preparation and you're speaking about the Holy Spirit and he's gonna show up. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna lean into that because here's the truth. As we approach the subject of Holy Spirit, we don't need to think about him as some famous guest who's coming to our house and expecting everything to be tidy. Holy Spirit is more like the friend that comes over and says, I know you're having guests, let me help you get the house clean. And so this is going to be tricky and messy and there's almost no way to talk about Holy Spirit without being like, is he a he or an it and and is it the Holy Spirit or Holy Spirit and all of those things, but we're just going to go, you know what, let's just receive the grace of God to address the more important issue. Who is this Holy Spirit and how does he work in my life? So number one, defining characteristics of of Holy Spirit. Number one, Holy Spirit is God. He is not the force. Star Wars fans. He is not good energy or good vibes. This is the the new thing that that people are doing, like, oh, I'm sending you good vibes, I'm sending you good energies. I promise you, people don't need your good vibes or good energies. People need the Holy Spirit of God to manifest in their lives. So, So might we replace the good energy and the good vibes with prayer, Holy Spirit, be welcome in this person's life. He is not an impersonal force. He is a personal being. I want to go to two places to demonstrate this. Matthew 28, verse 19, what we call the Great Commission. Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The antecedent, the the word that leads to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the name of. In other words, you could render it the name of the Father and the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is is not just some kind of impersonal force that exists around God. He is fully personal God. Second place I'll take you is Acts chapter 5, a little bit obscure, but it'll make the point. The Holy Spirit is, is manifesting in the life of the church to the tune of thousands of people coming to know Jesus, being baptized, being discipled. And in the midst of all that, a couple, man and a woman named Ananias and Sapphira say, hey, we want to get in on the action a little bit. And so they sell a piece of property and they bring most of the profit to the disciples and say, hey, here's everything we got. And listen to what Peter says. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? 
And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? In other words, couldn't you have done anything you wanted to do with this? So why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to whom? To God. So Peter's going to equate, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God himself. Holy Spirit is God. Now this forces us into a conversation on the Trinity, so hang with me, maybe buckle up for a couple minutes, because we believe that God is a triune God, three persons, one being. And those three persons exist as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, and so some people would say, you guys just made this up. I promise you, no one was smart enough to make this up. Like, the reason we believe in the triune nature of God is because it jumps off the pages of the New Testament. Where we see, for instance, at Jesus' baptism, both the Father who's speaking over him, the Son who's in the water, and the Spirit descending like a dove and resting on him. Paul will often say, greetings in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As I showed you in Matthew and in Acts, these, this triuneness of God, this trinity, if you will, exists throughout the New Testament. And so we've tried to come up with ways to explain how God can be both three and one. Anybody remember the egg analogy? Ice, steam, and water. There are probably others. Really, really feeble attempts to demonstrate something of threeness and oneness at the same time. Let me give you another illustration that I think works better. Um, and go ahead, actually, go ahead and throw this one up. If some of you are having like geometry PTSD, let me just walk through this quickly. Uh, Barbara Pennington actually sent me this earlier in the week. She knew I was talking Holy Spirit. I got a little bit ahead of myself. Uh, the point of this graphic is to say that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each is God and each is not the other. Okay? So equal, all three, fully God, yet distinct from one another. Uniformity and distinctness. They also all glorify each other and are in each other, but again, they are distinct as persons. The early church took this basic idea and turned it into a symbol that we look at as the Trinity symbol. Go ahead and throw that up for me. So the Trinity symbol, demonstrating the three points, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that middle part being that they're all fully God. Y'all still with me? All right, hang in there. Because I, thank you. Because what I want to do is I want to go one step further. To me, ice, steam, water, uh, egg, yolk, and shell, none of that really helps me understand how God is triune or, or the way God works as triune God. Let me give you another illustration and one that I believe comes straight out of the pages of the Bible. We know that God in Scripture is called the Father, which means he is the source of all that is, right? The fatherhood of God implies source, and yet, as the Old Testament makes clear, no one can see the Father. He is invisible, he's, his majesty, if you were to see him, you would fall down dead. So, Father is the invisible source of everything that is. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, is called the Logos, or the Word of God. So, the origin source, the Father, expressing himself in the person of Jesus in the same way that the thought expresses the word. At every moment as I am speaking, my words are the exact representation of what my brain is thinking. And did you know that Hebrews says that Jesus was the exact representation and is of the Father? You can't judge my thoughts, but you can judge my words. 
And by the same token, as Jesus came into the world, he came into the world in part so that people could see who God is and make a judgment on whether to receive or reject him. The word expressing the idea of who God is. And here's where it gets really cool. The third person of the Trinity, Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that word in the Greek is pneuma, which means breath. So what's happening right now? My invisible thoughts are being carried by my breath into words that you can know. This is in part the way that the triune God works and functions to communicate into the world. By the way, also at the creation, we see the same thing. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all together at creation. God is speaking the world into existence. The Word, the breath, the Father, one, and yet three. So so hopefully that that helps a little bit to understand because the truth is God is a communicating God. This isn't something that he does. It's a part of his nature to communicate, to be a speaking God. That's why in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus could say to Philip, Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So to summarize all of this, the, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God, equal with yet distinct from the Father. Let's go to the next one. Number two. Holy Spirit is involved in everything that God does. I already told you that he was involved at creation. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, it says that at the creation, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. We see him just a little while later in the book of Exodus, and he is present at the giving of the law on Mount Sinai to Moses. He shows up then in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. The Spirit of God is the one who is empowering the testimony of the prophets. Peter in the New Testament will say that no one of the prophets spoke of their own accord, but each of them spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were carried by the breath or the wind of God. And the Spirit was, of course, inspiring everything that was written in both Old and New Testament. So the Spirit of God was very active in the Old Testament. And it's important that we say that because sometimes we can come up with this false notion or idea that in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit showed up, right? And the truth is he was always present, eternally existent with God, including in the Old Testament. Then the gospels come, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And right from the jump, we see that the Holy Spirit is conceiving Jesus through Mary, or Mary is conceiving through the Holy Spirit. So he's present there. Uh, When Jesus announces his ministry, he says, the spirit of the Lord, the pneuma of God is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. The Spirit, as I told you, is present at the baptism of Jesus, and immediately the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I'm gonna let let that hang over you because that's kind of a weird thought, right? But the Spirit is active and present. In fact, there's basically two schools of thought on, on Jesus and how he was able to speak with authority and to do miracles. One is that he could do them because he was God. The problem is, yes, Jesus was and is God, but in his earthly form, Philippians tells us that Jesus emptied himself and became nothing and took the nature of a servant. It's not that Jesus put on a costume called humanity. Jesus became human. So what I believe is that Jesus' power to speak with authority and do miracles was not because he had the God card. It was because he was in perfect relationship within himself as triune God and the Holy Spirit of God was able to be active and in power in the life and ministry of Jesus. Everything Jesus did was the Holy Spirit doing it through him. 
That's why Jesus could say, I don't do anything of my own accord. In fact, in one place it says that Jesus was in a certain town and the power of God was present for miracles. What in the world does that mean other than the Spirit of God was there in power to enable Jesus to do the work of the Father? So this is what's going on in the ministry of Jesus. And then in John 16, Jesus makes a really shocking statement to the disciples. He says this, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You need to know that the disciples were not learning for the first time about the Spirit of God. They, they knew the Holy Spirit. They, they knew the Holy Spirit existed. What was happening in John chapter 16 and later in Acts chapter 2 is that Jesus was inaugurating a new age of the Spirit. I might say it this way, prior to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was active throughout the Old Testament and the Gospels, but he was not yet fully accessible to people. The Spirit of God would come on Elijah and he would like run miles and miles and not get tired. The Spirit of God would come over prophets to proclaim, but he would come and go. It's why David said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And Jesus was saying, disciples, something new is about to happen. The Holy Spirit of God, who has always existed and always been active, is going to be sent to you, and you're going to have access to him in a new way. I might illustrate it this way. How many of you have teenagers who are starting to drive? Let me see your hands. Okay, can we have a moment of silence for these families? My daughter turned 10 yesterday, and it's already too close to 16. I'm not, I'm not ready. I might illustrate it this way. Once your children can drive, if these are the rules of your house, they have access to your vehicle. Now, they have to ask for it. They say, Mom, Dad, can I have the keys? And you say, yep, here's the keys. Where are you going? What time are you getting back? Keep your cell phone on you. Text me when you get there, right? Like there's a lot of parameters around it. But imagine that same child is now 18 or 19 and they're going to college in a distant state and you say to your child, hey, you're gonna take the car now. It's gonna be yours. And you still got to be responsible for it, but I'm not going to be giving you all the parameters and check in and check out. You're going to possess the car in a new way. It's going to be yours. You're going to have unfiltered access to it. What God was doing in the giving of the Holy Spirit was giving followers of Jesus access to the Spirit of God without limit. So number three, the Holy Spirit empowers every follower of Jesus. If you were in one reading to, to sit down and read the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, A, you'd be a rock star, but B, you would find a theme emerging. From Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the, and the, the relationship with God is severed and broken, we see God from that point on relentlessly pursuing his creation. First, we see him in the Old Testament. He's establishing himself as the father who is for us. Don't buy into the notion that God in the Old Testament is just like angry at everybody, right? Like it's all judgment. No, no, no. The people of God understood God to be slow to anger, abounding in love. Great is your faithfulness. This is the, the, the most repeated refrain throughout the Old Testament. So in the Old Covenant, God is establishing himself as a father who is for us. And when Jesus comes into the world, he says, hey, something different's about to happen. He says, Jesus is coming. And by the way, you're to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God for us, God with us. 
And what's going to happen in the Pentecost moment in Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at it in a moment. What's going to happen is now God is going to be in us. For us, Old Covenant. With us, the person of Jesus. In us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love this because the first time we see the Spirit of God is in Genesis chapter 1 where he's hovering over the waters at creation. And by the end in Revelation, we're going to see that he's dwelling with man from hovering over to dwelling within. This is the pursuit of God. If you hear nothing else from me today, I want you to know that God desires to be in relationship with you. More than that, God removed every barrier that could possibly be removed to be in relationship with you. He doesn't want to be a distant companion. He wants to be an ever-present helper in the person of the Holy Spirit. So here we go, Acts chapter two, verses one through four. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, they the believers, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Some of you want me now to unpack speaking in tongues, and I'm just not going to do that. Not today. Not today, Satan. No, I'm just kidding. Not today are we going to do that. But that will come. We'll talk about that. Here's the point that I want to make. And also, it's Pentecost Sunday. Did you know that? Today is Pentecost Sunday. What happened in the Old Testament, as the Israelites were being set free from their captivity in Egypt, God says to them, Place the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, and when I see the blood of the lamb, or when the angel sees it, he's going to pass over your home. You're not going to die. That day is celebrated. It's the high point on the Jewish calendar still today, and they celebrate the Passover when the blood of the lamb saved them from death. And then Jesus shows up. And Passover week, Jesus tells the disciples, this bread is my body which is broken for you. This, blood, this wine is my blood of the covenant poured out for you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the Passover lamb, the perfect one. And when you apply my blood to your hearts, it's not just a one-time passing over, it's a forever passing over from death to life. Jesus, the perfect Passover lamb. So back in Exodus, 50 days after the Passover, God shows up to Moses on Mount Sinai and gives him the law. Penta meaning 50, the Jews to this day celebrate Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. So what happens 50 days after Jesus' death in the New Testament? God shows up not to give the law, but to give the Holy Spirit. Jesus fulfilling as the perfect lamb, God the Spirit fulfilling the requirements of law. This is why Paul could say we don't walk anymore in the old way of the written code. We walk in the new way of the Spirit. All of that was Pentecost Sunday, and today is also Pentecost Sunday. Here's the, here's the point I want to make about Acts chapter 2. We can get real caught up in the, the methodology and the tool and the instrument, like speaking in tongues. They're, they're speaking in different languages. But you know what I believe to be true? If wearing a funny hat would have pointed people to Jesus, that's how the Holy Spirit would have shown up. My, my point is, people of all different languages are gathered in Jerusalem and the Spirit of God, his job is to exalt the name and the person of Jesus. And so he's going to empower the disciples to speak in other languages so that the name of Jesus can be proclaimed, so the good news of the gospel can be received, and people can be brought into relationship with God. The Spirit empowering the people of God to proclaim the name of Jesus. That's what Pentecost Sunday is all about. And at the risk of us saying, man, that would have been really cool to be at Pentecost Sunday. 
Like to be one of those disciples where the tongues of fire are falling and we're proclaiming in other tongues. Friends, you don't have something less than that. The same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit of God that fell at Pentecost now lives within you by faith in Jesus. And he's not just visiting. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. He says, in him, Jesus, you also, you Christians, you believers, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The evidence of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit in just a couple weeks here. The evidence of the Holy Spirit points out to us that we are in Christ. That we can know for sure and for certain that God's grace has come, that the Spirit of God lives within us. And he says, this is the promise. And by the way, this is the guarantee. The way the NIV renders that is that the Holy Spirit is the deposit who guarantees our inheritance. This is one of the most cool thoughts of the whole thing as I was preparing this week. When you're living in the Holy Spirit, and listen, none of us do that perfectly, right? We're going to tackle all of that later on. When we're living in the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit of God is, is fleshing himself out through us in our thoughts, our actions, our behaviors, and we're experiencing healthy relationships and effectiveness in our ministry, and our thoughts are of peace and, and hope and joy, and all these things that are evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, all of that God refers to as a mere deposit, which means there's more to come. It's not even the full thing. And so Revelation chapter 21 at the very end of our Bibles says this, Revelation 21 verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, now the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So what is Holy Spirit doing in our midst in the meantime? He's God's gift to us to dwell with us here on this fallen earth until we're there in perfect heaven with him forever. Exalting Jesus in the community of saints, Father, Son, and Spirit working together for all of eternity with no more death, no more sickness, no more pain, no more confusion. The Spirit of God is our deposit. So let me ask you this question. What are you doing with the deposit God gave you? I don't want to go legalistic and it's not a, it's not a rules or a checkbox. I'm just saying when I get a really, really good gift, I want to open it and I want to use it. And God has given us the gift of his Holy Spirit. So for these next several weeks, that's what we're talking about. And our hope and our prayer is that as we progress through that teaching, you're going to want and you're going to experience more of what the Spirit of God has for you. We're going to close in this way. We began this morning by saying in song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I'm going to ask at this time if you would stand and if you would vocalize that same prayer with me. We're going to do it in the form of spoken words and then team, you lead us in just one refrain of that chorus. Would you say with me the words, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You ready? Here we go. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. In Jesus' name we pray. Team, lead us. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. 
For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.